Matthew 9, verse 27 to 10, verse 1. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, Son of God. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives our demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you all. It's great to be with you here again in Olveston. I don't know if many of you realise this, but I was actually born in Burnie, and I uh, grew up in Burnie and in Penguin till I was about 18 years old, so uh, I know this part of the world very well. I used to ride my bike with my mates from Penguin across to Olveston to uh, go to the shops and exciting things like that. So, uh, it's uh, good to be back here with you again, and every time I come up, it seems to be beautiful and sunny, so I'm presuming it's always like this up here. Uh, now, uh, thank you also for the, uh, for the very warm welcome this morning, I really appreciate that. And uh, can I give my apologies already? I won't be able to stay after the service. Um, my, uh, we have some family down from the mainland, and uh, I also have to finish my sermon for uh, this afternoon, so uh, I need to, uh, to head off fairly quickly. Now, uh, as you're probably uh, well aware, uh, myself, as well as uh, Reuben Capel and uh, Jed Saville, have been sharing some sermons with you from a series we did recently at Riverbank called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, the series drew its inspiration from this uh, this book by the same name, written by Dane Ortland. And uh, the point of the book and of our series was to, to look not so much at what Jesus has done but at who Jesus really is. And hence the subtitle of the book, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And so my message today, which I've titled The Compassionate Heart of Jesus, is also from that series. But let's, uh, let's ask for the Lord's blessing as we begin.
Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to, to gather together around your word. It truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without it, we would be totally lost. So, Father, we pray, please bless us this morning as we consider together your message to us. Please help us to learn today, not just of what you have done, but of who you truly are. May we actually experience for ourselves the deep heart of compassion that you have for us. And as a result, may we also grow in our love and our commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'd like to begin by, uh, by reading five short passages for you from Matthew's Gospel. And, uh, and as I do that, I'd just like you to, to think about what kind of picture they are painting of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first is from Matthew 11, where it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. The next is from Matthew 13. It says, The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll be th he, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew chapter 18, it says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then finally, some, a verse from Matthew 23, where he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? So what do you think? These verses are, are quite different, aren't they, to the passage that we read a little earlier, and quite different to this theme that I've just described of Jesus being gentle and lowly. For these verses speak to us of a Jesus who is actually filled with anger, judgment and condemnation. His anger, of course, is not sinful like ours, but righteous. But yet it is anger nonetheless. And so you might be wondering to yourself, why are we reading verses like these? Surely today is about his compassion. So why would we start here? Well, two reasons. One is because we need to have a balanced picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we only ever focused on his gentleness, sympathy and love, then we may incorrectly think that he is weak and helpless and cowardly. We may think that he does not care about wickedness and injustice. But these verses remind us that he certainly does. Evil infuriates him. 
and none more so than the evil of those who lead others into sin, of those who keep others away from God, and he will deal with them in no uncertain terms. But I ask you, would we really want it any other way? Don't we long for Jesus to deal with those priests who rape children? To deal with those dictators who murder their own people? Those scammers who prey upon the elderly? Those terrorists who cause so much death and destruction? Those cult leaders who brainwash their followers? Don't we long for Jesus to bring justice? But the second reason why we need to consider his righteous anger is because it also serves to highlight the incredible wonder of his grace. For you see, as soon as we say that Jesus is infuriated with sin, we very quickly realise that he also has every right to be infuriated with us. For are we any better? Have we lived a pure and righteous life, always loving God with all our hearts and always loving our neighbour as ourselves? Of course not. But yet we need to understand that these verses that I've just read are not speaking about Jesus' anger towards sinners in general, but towards sinners who don't care. He's talking to the proud and the self-righteous who justify their own actions and are unrepentant before God. He's talking to those who reject his love and the salvation that he offers. He's talking to those who are living in willful disobedience, thinking that it's no big deal and urging other people to join in with them. They are the ones to whom he directs his anger. But my friends, this is not his attitude toward those who come to him in humility. For if we have have recognised our own failings and if we have sought his forgiveness for our rebellion and if we have trusted in Jesus to save us, then, then we have absolutely nothing to fear. For he gave his own life on the cross to wash our guilt away. And as he did so, his anger toward us evaporated once and for all. And so even though we might be rightly deserving of his anger, he instead showers us with his kindness. And so for us, his capacity for righteous anger only only serves to highlight the wonder of his gracious sympathy and love. For my friends, we need to realise that the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ towards sinners and sufferers like us, toward all who come to him in repentance and faith, is overwhelmingly a heart of compassion. And it's his compassion that we are exploring today. And so the first thing that we need to realise is that this word, which is translated as compassion, is a word that is only ever used in the New Testament to describe Jesus, either literally or via a parable. It's never used of anyone else. And so it's a very special quality that is very closely tied to his unique identity. 
Also, we need to realise that the word itself is closely related to our inward parts. It actually refers to your intestines, to your bowels, to your guts. And so we're talking here about a deeply moving emotion, a gut-wrenching feeling that stirs you deep inside. But we also need to realise that it's an emotion that drives a person into action. It compels you to do something. We cannot help but respond to the thing which has moved us. And so what we're talking about here is a feeling of intense pity, of heartfelt sympathy, of overwhelming concern and of motivating kindness. And thus we find the best English translation in this beautiful word, compassion. And so we see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just heard about the sadistic beheading of John the Baptist. And we're told that he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. You can imagine him wanting some time alone to to grieve and to process this horrible event and to pray. But yet the crowds, the crowds got wind of it and it says that they followed him on foot. But in verse 14 it says this. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus was not disappointed. He was not annoyed. He was not angry. They were needy and they were looking for him because they knew that he could help them. And when he saw them, he was filled with compassion. And that moved him to care for them, one by one, reversing the effects of sin in their lives. Over in Matthew 15, we find Jesus among the crowds once again, caring for their needs. And in verse 32, it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse along the way. And then you know what happens in the next verses, don't you? As he miraculously feeds the 4,000. A little later in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. You remember the one who was owed that small amount of money by a fellow servant, but who himself owed that huge debt to the king? And in verse 27, it says, The servant's master, and that is the king, who in this parable represents Jesus himself, it says, He took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. And it's those words, took pity on him, that's our word again. Our word, compassion. And then there's Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, there were two blind men, we're told, sitting by the roadside, calling out to Jesus. But the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Clearly, there was no sympathy from them. But what does verse 34 say? Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. And finally, there's Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we have that, 
that amazingly touching story of Jesus meeting a widow who had lost her only son. And in verse 13 it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. And then he raised her son to life. And it's those words, his heart went out to her. That's our word again, that word compassion. Friends, these these passages build up a a picture of this strong emotion that that often overtook Jesus when he saw people in desperate need. They never frustrated him. They never annoyed him. But they broke his heart and stirred in him a deep sense of empathy and a determination to help them and to make things right. And that then leads us into our text for today from Matthew chapter 9. And what we saw, first of all, when we read these verses earlier, was even more examples of Jesus showing his compassion in action. In verses 27 to 31, another pair of blind men came to him and Jesus recognised their faith and he restored their sight. And then in verses 32 to 34, there was that man who was mute and demon-possessed and Jesus had pity on him as well, driving out the demon and restoring his speech. But then we reach our key text for today. For in verses 35 and 36, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These words are actually describing what must have been a significant period of ministry probably going through dozens of different places, confronted by thousands of different people. And we can only presume that that Jesus must have suffered physical fatigue and emotional burnout, just as we would, for how much misery and how many demanding people can one man bear. But wherever he saw another crowd, he had compassion on them. And there's that word again. Every time he was confronted by human need, his fundamental heartfelt response was never indifference, was never annoyance, but always sympathy, mercy and concern. In his, uh, in his book, When Jesus Confronts the World, Don Carson describes how he first came to understand this concept. It was when he was a young pastor struggling in a discouraging ministry. And he says that one evening his supervisor, Ken, invited him to go for a swim in a lake some distance away. And he was really looking forward to it because he he just really needed a break. And the lake was always a, a, a clean and quiet and beautiful place to go. But when they arrived, he says he was horrified because the place had been taken over by teenagers celebrating their graduation, something like schoolies week. And so their behaviour was noisy and it was drunken and it was lewd. But then Carson writes these words. He says, Deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party 
I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. I turned to Ken to unload the venom, but stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And then he said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. In one sense, he had seen and heard exactly what I did. In another sense, he had not seen and heard the same things at all. The difference was not in the objective reality, but in his compassion. I had much to learn. My friends, don't we all? So why did Jesus have this kind of compassion on the crowds? It says it's because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Even though they were morally responsible, Jesus was willing to look deeper. And the biggest problem, you see, was that these people, they were supposed to be led and taught and protected by their religious leaders, like the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. But these men had been neglecting their calling and abusing their authority. They had been leading the people astray and leading them far away from the Lord. And so Jesus took pity on them. And how did he respond? Well, first of all, he responded, as we have seen in other passages, healing every disease and sickness. These people brought their blind and deaf and mute and the lame and the lepers and the demon-possessed, and Jesus took the time to care for every single one, healing their physical ailments. But my friends, we need to understand that he did so primarily to point to something far, far deeper. For what good would it be to be healed of sickness if you're still in your sin, still cut off from God, still far from the kingdom? And so Jesus healed as evidence for an even greater miracle, the miracle of salvation. For we're told that at this same time, he went around teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And here we find the very nucleus of Jesus' heart. For the very reason why he came into our world was to fulfill God's plan of redemption, to reverse the effects of the fall, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation but to act on his compassion for us would come at enormous cost. For it required him to give his own life, to suffer agony and humiliation at the hands of wicked men and to suffer the, imaginable, the unimaginable wrath of God. And that, my friends, is the amazing scope of his love that he not only cares about our spiritual predicament, about our guilt and the condemnation that it deserves, but that he was willing of his own free will to take on our sinful flesh and to give himself as a perfect sacrifice of atonement in our place. But now we need to ask ourselves, as we sit here this morning, Do we truly know Jesus' heart of compassion in our own lives?
have we truly experienced it for ourselves? For a start, I want to invite you to to just to pause and to think about the troubles in your life today. Maybe you're a widow facing each day with loneliness in your heart. Are you elderly and realising that your, your days on this earth are limited? Are you a teenager who doesn't ever seem to fit in anywhere? Are you a young mum who is burdened by relentless responsibilities and expectations? Are you experiencing a lot of, a lot of stress and frustration in your work? Are you filled with regrets about those mistakes you made that just keep haunting you? Are you tired of all the, all the arguments and the battles at home? Are you sick of people asking you if you're ever going to get married? Are you middle-aged and realising that it's now too late to achieve all those things that you had hoped for? Or are you in that cycle of endless doctor's visits and medical tests and never knowing what the outcome is going to be? My friends, I don't know what's going on in your life, let alone what's going on in your heart, but what I do know is that we all face struggles and when we do we have a choice we can either face them alone or we can turn to Jesus but when we need to turn to him we need to realize that he is never repulsed by the mess in our lives he is never mad at our mistakes or disappointed by our failures He is never intimidated by our fears or overwhelmed by our stresses. For he looks at us in all of our weakness with a perfect heart of compassion. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus cares for you? You know, I think there are far too many Christians who live with with inner doubts and depression and turmoil and all because they don't take Jesus at his word. But what a shame that would be. Jesus is filled with compassion for the weary and the burdened, for the harassed and the helpless, for sinners and sufferers just like us. And that compassion compels him to come to you and to care for you and to help you. We don't know how or when he will do it, but we can be assured that he will. He may send healing or he may provide unexpected peace. He may solve that problem or he may give you the strength to cope. He may fill that void in your life or smooth that relationship, or get you through those exams, or give you renewed purpose, or let you experience freedom from that issue that has crippled you for so, so long. But my friends, even if you would not have any struggles today, that doesn't change the fact that you, just like me, are a sinner deserving of hell. And yet it's exactly as we realise this terrible truth that we discover the ultimate 
expression of our Lord's compassion toward us. For the very reason why he was born on that first Christmas day, the very reason why he lived here among us, was because he had come to fill our deepest need and to solve our greatest problem. For he looked down upon our desperate need and he was compelled to go to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he took with him all of our sins and all of our transgressions and all of our crimes and all of our failures and he dealt with them once and for all. You know, I think sometimes as Christians we can still act as though Jesus doesn't truly love us or that his love is somehow limited or conditional or that we have to to reach some unattainable standard before he truly accepts us. You know, I think as Christians we can sometimes act as though the gospel is too good to be true. But that's when we need to focus on the, on the heart of Christ. He's most certainly the one who is angry at sin, the unrepented sin of those who reject him. But how much greater is his compassion for all who come to him in humility. And so I want to urge you today to, to allow this, his compassion to, to wash over you like a, like a wave at the seashore. I want to urge you to feel and to experience Jesus' deep heart of love. His love for you. Yes, for you. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, the same Christ who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despair. The same one who reached out and touched lepers puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty, invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. In other words, Christ's heart is not far off, despite his presence now in heaven, for he does all of this by his own Holy Spirit. But finally, I also want to urge you to let the deep compassion of Christ motivate you. In the last verses of our text, after expressing his compassion for the crowds, Jesus tells his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he urges them to pray, to pray that the Lord would send workers out, and then he sends them out. My friends, if we've experienced the Lord's compassion firsthand, then may that overflow in our attitude toward others. Let's open our eyes to the world around us, to the weary and the burdened, the harassed and the helpless, to all who so desperately need the good news of Jesus. And let us show them his compassion through us. Amen. Let's pray. Our precious Lord Jesus,
You've shown us that, that evil infuriates you and that you will surely deal with it. But you have also shown us that for all who, who come to you in humble repentance and in sincere faith, that your heart is overflowing with love and forgiveness and sympathy and kindness and grace and mercy. You've shown us that your heart is full of compassion for sinners and sufferers just like us. You have compassion for the struggles that we face in our lives each day and compassion for the eternal fate that we rightly deserve. And Lord Jesus, thank you because you have even shed your own blood to save us. Lord Jesus, please help us to know and to feel and to experience your compassion for us today, perhaps even for the very first time. Lord Jesus, may it comfort us, may it assure us, and may it motivate us to share your love in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.